Getting back to Romans, this is a Bible study on chapter 4 from the book of Romans. Prior to reading this, I'd like to pray to God. Dear God, please be with me as I read through the scripture and bring to mind anything that you want to come to mind. Um, we're seeking wisdom from you through your word and increase in our faith as a result of reading scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. Abraham justified by faith. Chapter 4. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? If in fact Abraham was justified by works, we had something to boast about, but not before God. What does scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. This was something that I underlined in my Bible, that Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So belief in God was credited as righteousness. Abraham did some significant things from his belief. It's, it is Abraham demonstrated faith in action. When God promised Abraham a son, and then he had a son, and then God said, I want you to sacrifice your son. And Abraham was obedient. And that is, you know, a lot of people, when you read that, you think, well, I don't think I would have that faith. And a lot of um, people would say, well, that, that was crazy that he was a little bit out there. He did way more like that wouldn't be God's will, you know, to kill. That's not his will. And there's a lot of other thoughts that go around that. And, and that's, you know, a struggle for many people who read that part of the scripture that Abraham would be that obedient to God and believe that much in God. But we get a clue in Hebrews, we get an interpretation of what Abraham did with that act. It says in Hebrews, and I'm not, I have this, I haven't committed the actual verses to memory, but it's in the book of Hebrews. It explains that it was through Abraham's faith, basically, that he knew God's power and he knew that God, God would be able to restore his son. He knew that God would be able to do whatever was needed. Like his faith and his trust in God was so great that no matter what God told him to do, he was going to do it because he trusted in God and he knew God was good. So even when it didn't make sense to him, he trusted God and did what God, want, what God wanted, what God requested of him. And this behavior, because he believed, it showed up in his actions and it was credited to him as righteousness in God's eyes. And that's something that, you know, all of us can reflect on. How willingly are we to trust God, to ask God for guidance, and to follow God's guidance when we receive it? When we read in Scripture, when we read what Scripture says, are we willing, like Abraham, through his faith, to trust in God, and to be obedient to what God says. That's something we can learn from the scripture today. Getting back to the scripture in verse 4. 
Now, to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. I underline this, too, because this is a really critical statement, and there's another piece of scripture that even further clarifies this. So, also found in Romans, and I don't know which chapter it is, um, because I haven't memorized all of scripture. I just know where things are and verses, like paraphrasing them, but... We know in in another part of Romans, um, I believe it's Romans, and I'm not really sure, but the wages of sin is death. So what we get paid for, our sins, is death. This clears up the whole concept of sacrifice because God allowed substitute sacrifices back in the Old Testament when people were required to atone or make up for their sin by a sacrifice. They were called to repentance, to change, to stop doing what they were doing, and then to substitute a life for their own. And God allowed animals for that purpose, the sacrifice. And that continued on until, of course, Jesus came. And Jesus became the one unblemished, perfect sacrifice that atoned for all of us. And we have Jesus to be thankful for him doing that for us. It wouldn't be possible if it weren't for Jesus, it would not be possible for us to be in God's kingdom and God's eternity in the future. And so getting back to this verse four, it says, now the one who works wages are not credited as a gift but as an obligation. So the one who works. So if we, if our faith is based on works, and that's where I would say many people believe, and I think other religions besides true Christianity believe in this. A lot of people, if you ask someone, will you be in heaven? They will respond, well, I don't know. Um, that's going to be up to God. I, I'm not a judge. And then you ask somebody, are you good? You know, like, what is your life like? You know, if God judges you based on your your life, you know, what what is that going to be? And people will generally say, well, I think I've done more good than bad. Um, I think I'll probably be in heaven because I try to live my life good. I try to do the right things. I try all this stuff. And that's a little bit of the truth um, that we are called to be obedient to God's commands. So that, that never, ever went away. But what is being missed by people who respond in that way is that we would never get to eternity because we are not perfect And God requires perfect holiness to be in his presence. Many times I'll talk about when God talked to the prophets in the past, he would tell them when he would appear to them, he would tell them they needed to be hidden inside a cleft of a rock or in a cave, you know, so that they would not be destroyed. When God came down on Mount Sinai, and gave the Ten Commandments to Moses, he had forewarned Moses to say, don't let any of the people go near the mountain or touch the ground. Or, you know, there was a preparation that was required before they could be there. And it said, and he said, 
that if they even touched the mountain, they would surely die. This was God not being vengeful. This was God being protective of people. He was protecting them because they were, if you want to use Old Testament words, unclean. They were not holy. They were not prepared to be in the presence of God yet. And God was trying to save lives by doing that, by giving that command. All of us, until we have believed and accepted the sacrifice that Jesus made for us, all of us are in that same condition. When we have believed and accepted the sacrifice that Jesus made and received the Holy Spirit from God, we are then in a state, we're not perfect yet, we won't be perfect until Jesus returns, but we are prepared. We are prepared to be in God's presence when Jesus returns, and we have nothing to fear at that point. But if we are trying, if we are not acknowledging Jesus, if we are ignoring what Jesus did, if we don't understand what Jesus did, we're relying on our own good works to get into God's kingdom. And that's not the way it happens. That's probably who Jesus is referring to when he talked about it in one of the gospels, in John, I know, um, when he said, um, well, maybe it was Matthew, um, when he said, there will be people who say, Lord, Lord, haven't I prophesied? Haven't I done miracles in your name? And haven't I done blah, 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 blah. You know, it goes on through all these things of all these qualifications that someone has done and someone thinks they are then worthy to be in God's kingdom. But Jesus says, depart from me, you evildoers. I do not know you. That was one of the scariest verses that I read in the Bible was just that, you know, people can believe. So there are Christians who, people who call themselves Christians, I should clarify, people that call themselves Christians that will be turned away if they are not properly prepared. And that's something that I learned from reading the Bible about being properly prepared. And that's something that I want everyone to know so that everyone has the time to prepare, to get questions answered. If a person doesn't believe in Jesus, find out about him, ask questions, get your answers, and pray to God, pray for clarity, pray Pray for the Holy Spirit to provide wisdom so that this is understood because many people have the concept but don't really understand it. And that's another verse that just came to mind too because it's like wide, narrow is the path, but wide is the path to destruction. So narrow is the path to life, but wide is the path to destruction. And many are on the wide path to destruction. And it's just the the narrow gate. Um, Few enter through the narrow gate. These are all parables that Jesus told that point to this. And it's very important for people to know at this time and people to do something about it. Just like Abraham, we are called by faith to 
to show in our actions that we truly believe that this isn't just a, a history book that, oh, yeah, that happened before. And that's what, you know, blah, 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 that all happened. And that's all it means is that that once occurred in life. No, it impacts us today. It impacts every single one of us today. And it requires an action. Now, an inaction on our part just allows us to be on that wide path to destruction. And if someone doesn't understand this, please seek God, because it's so critical that you understand this. I'm going to get back to scripture. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. This is another awesome verse, because here's what it says. The one who does not work, but trusts God. And then, so if, if we trust God, if we truly trust God, and we're not trying, I mean, certainly you, God commands us to live a certain way, so we should be obedient. That's how we show God that we love him, by living according to his commands. Like we're grateful for what he's done for us. We want to be in his kingdom. We appreciate him giving us life, and we want to respond to that by our actions. That is the the good deeds that we do. But getting back to this verse 5, here's what's really cool about this is that the one who does not work, so I'm not trying to get to heaven by, not heaven, but get in God's kingdom by my good works, but I trust God. And it's God who justifies the ungodly. Their faith is credited as righteousness. So that's something that I struggled with in the in the journey in my faith was that I needed to do a certain, you know, like I needed to act a certain way or be a certain way before I was uh, saved maybe, um, and that is by works in, with that kind of a mindset. But here's what happens when you are sincere, when you want to leave that life that you know isn't right with God, when you want to leave that life that's not right with God, and you want to be closer to God, and you want to be in God's kingdom in the future, then when God knows that's sincere within our hearts within our desires, and we're not just saying the words, but we really mean it. When that happens and we ask God for help, God sends the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, he did this for all of his disciples. He said um, to wait in a certain, um, wait in the city until the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And and then also, before that even happened, it was um, during one of the appearances after his resurrection when he was with the disciples and he breathed on them and gave them the Holy Spirit at one of those visits that he had. And so when people receive the Holy Spirit, it's the Holy Spirit, God, who is working within us. But we have to, it's like, you know, they often talk about people being like vessels and being containers. And if we are a container and we are filled with the Holy Spirit, it's the Holy Spirit that works in us, that starts to guide us. We have to be receptive receptive to it. We have to open ourselves up to be willing. It's it's all about our will. It's about our will. Do we do we want God? 
to change our lives? Do we want God to come in and act in our lives? Do we want God to guide us? Do we want God to lead us? It's all about that. That's the submission, like not my ways, but yours. That's even what Jesus said when he was on the cross, or not on the cross. It was um, before when he was asking God if there was any other way that he could proceed and still do the same. And But he said at the end of it, it was he knew his upcoming persecution and death that would happen. But he said in that prayer, he said, but not my way, but yours. And so Jesus was in full submission to God's will, to the will of God. And that is the same way that we should be if we want God to guide us. We need to not do it our way, but to seek guidance from God and be prepared to hear from God and what God wants to, how he, God wants to guide us. Getting back to the scripture, verse 6. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. So right there it says righteousness is apart from works. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. This is such an awesome verse also because the ones whose transgressions, whose sins, so it's saying, you know, there's they're sinners, but they're forgiven because they've gone to God, they've repented, they've turned away from them, and their sins are covered. That's like the blood of the lamb. The blood of the animals was the atonement that made it right for those people not to die, not to suffer the consequences of sin because the wages of death, the wages of sin is death. So the people whose sins are covered are covered by Jesus's blood on the cross. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. By the blood that Jesus, the blood of Jesus on the cross, God isn't counting the sins that we incurred because of what Jesus did. He's covered us. But as we said, there is preparation on our behalf. There is preparation to accept him, to believe, to take action as a result of our belief. It's the faith. Getting back to scripture. Is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. And he he received circumcision as a sign, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then he is the father of all who believe but have not been circumcised in order that righteousness might be credited to them. And he is then also the father of the circumcised who not only are circumcised but who also follow in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir 
of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who depend on the law are heirs, heirs, faith means nothing, and the promise is worthless, because the law brings wrath. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. So the laws are really important. If we break laws, we are subject to God's wrath for breaking them. But if we accept Jesus, we repent of the things that we did, breaking the commands that God gave us, then we are covered by Jesus. I tend to look at the commandments as guardrails for us. Those are the parameters that God gave us to live life. Those who believe in Jesus and trust in Jesus, have faith in Jesus, are, are, are fine. You know, when we, when we break the law, not to say that we keep on breaking the law. You're not supposed to. I mean, the, those are God's commands. Those laws do not go away. I've heard other Christians say, we're, you know, it doesn't matter what the law, you know, whatever. If you are unrepentant and you are continually sinning, you are not, from my understanding of scripture, you are not covered by Jesus. So I think a lot of people misunderstand that and they have this like get out of jail free card, which I do not believe. I do not believe that scripture supports that. You cannot be continual sin and think that you are covered by Jesus. No, that's not the way scripture tells us it works. So if if you're breaking commands, you need to get right with God. You need to, in your mind, willingly say, I don't want to do that anymore. Ask God for forgiveness of the past and ask God for help in obeying his commands in the future going forward. That's all you need to do. And, you know, accept Jesus. I mean, that's number one. I mean, the only way that we get into eternity or have the ability to get into eternity is because of Jesus. So you cannot exclude, just like Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's the only way to eternity. So getting back to scripture, therefore the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who had the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Against all hope, Abraham Against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded 
that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. I'll stop there for anyone who doesn't know the story, but he was just talking about Abraham was a hundred years old. So God told Abraham he was going to be the father of many nations and his children would be like the grains of sand and the sea. And Abraham, uh, in fact, when, gosh, I think when that all happened, they, they somewhat laughed about that being the case, that that being true. And uh, because Sarah was old and Abraham, I think Sarah was in her 90s and Abraham was 100 and they still had not had their child yet. And they laughed about it. Well, they did get a child just like God had promised. And the child was named Isaac. And Isaac means something about laughter or something to that effect. You can look it up. But it's very interesting how names were in the uh, Old Testament and throughout Scripture, that names had more meaning than maybe what they do today. But back then, they were very significant in their meaning and in Scripture. But God can do the impossible. Uh, Like today, I mean, that's not natural a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman having a child. There's there's things in the Bible that defy what we know today, but with God, all things are possible. God does things that are not things that we would normally expect. Now, getting back to Scripture again, the words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. So just as I had said earlier, it's all about Jesus. Jesus is the only reason that we will be in God's kingdom. And if we believe that, and we trust God, that will be credited to us as righteousness. Our actions, it, when we believe, our actions will, will change. Because when you believe this, and then you really comprehend God, you know God, what God wants from us, and you begin to desire the things of God, and with the Holy Spirit's help, in fact, Here's another thing too. It's in John chapter three, which is my favorite chapter, I think. And it's because Jesus explains to Nicodemus, unless you were born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. So we have to say like, wait a second. Well, we thought Jesus was the only reason we got into the kingdom of God, but then Jesus himself is telling Nicodemus, unless you were born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. So how does that reconcile? Well, it does. That's the preparation. So Jesus then tells them, you have to be born of the water and born of the Spirit. Now, if we recall, John the Baptist gave a baptism that was a sign of repentance. So people repented, and then John baptized them. So John's baptism was the baptism of water. And then the Spirit, born of the Spirit, is received through Jesus, through the belief in Jesus. In fact, John said that 
one will follow after me whose sandals I'm not worthy of carrying. And he would, he would bring the spirit or he would give, I don't remember the exact words, but it had to do with receiving the spirit. And then Jesus also said to that, if you ask me, I will receive the father, I will receive the spirit from the father and give it to, give it to you. And, uh, or he will send the advocate, the Holy spirit. And so in that summary, through those different scriptures throughout the Bible, we understand what it means to be born again, to be born of the water and of the spirit. Born of the water is repentance and of the spirit is receiving the Holy Spirit when we have prepared, when we're willing in our mind to accept Jesus and ask for the Holy Spirit to help us. That is what Jesus said is required to enter the kingdom of God. So there's preparation. We're not getting there by works. We're getting there by preparation and only because Jesus did what he did on the cross and was raised from dead back to life because he is the living God. And it's only by that that we are in the kingdom. But we can't just take one aspect of it all and ignore what Jesus said. So this is Jesus, the Son of God, telling someone, you need to be born again, born of the water and of the Spirit. So that's pretty important. If Jesus if Jesus said, well, hey, don't worry about anything. You're good. As soon as I die on this cross or as soon as I die and raise, you're good. You don't have anything to worry about. Jesus didn't say that. Jesus said you must be born of the water and born of the Spirit. So it's a pretty important concept to have. There's a lot of things in the Bible when you read scripture and you really study it and you listen to what Jesus said that will make you just, that will, that will shock you, that'll uh, convict you, that will, you really want to get to, kn- you want to know what the truth is. Because if you're not grounded in the truth, if you don't know what the truth is, it's worthless to you. Just to read it and not apply it is worthless. How many times do you think about people who, uh, who maybe get an education in something or learn something, but they never apply it to their lives? Does that ever benefit them? The same is true for the Bible. It, if you are a scholar of it and you understand and you know all the history and the, the root words and all of that, but yet you don't apply it to your life, you're missing out. So it doesn't matter how knowledgeable you are about scripture. And that's what I think I, that's how I was before it really sunk in. I, well, I wasn't knowledgeable about what was in scripture, but I had a knowledge of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but it wasn't what I understand now, what I comprehend now. And what I comprehend now is a result of reading and studying the Bible since 2019. And um, it really, truly changed my life and opened my eyes to things I never knew and also made me realize that not every church out there is telling people the truth. And that is another reason why I am making these podcasts and doing Bible studies and sharing with people as I can because um, the untruth that's out there and... um, and, you know, I, there's other people who do speak truth and who say this, and I will say the same. 
If you don't believe what I'm saying, don't take my word for it. Get into scripture, look for yourself, seek for yourself and pray about it. Don't ever take anyone's word about anything, but go to scripture and pray to God and God will reveal the truth.